0: Welcome, y'all, to the Direct Examination Podcast. I'm Amber Fulmer.
1: And I'm Joseph Bias. Thank you so much for joining us for our first official episode of 2021. Amber, how are you? I'm good.
0: In so, between COVID tests.
1: Yes. <laughs> Everything's good so far, right?
0: Everything's good so far. Um, oh, and wow. we were we were good. We were in quarantine around Christmas and right after, but people we came into contact with later, like then they got exposed and then they got it. <laughs> so...
1: Well, look, if you're good, we're we're wishing you well. If you don't hear our third co host, Dane, he's not sick. He's out on assignment doing lawyer stuff, which we want to do from time to time. Uh, A little bit behind the curtain, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday, the 6th. So if you were looking back at <laughs> your calendar, there's nothing going on in the world today. It's assuming we worried. make
0: it to the time this is published. Right.
1: So, <laughs> assuming we're all alive and well at the time that this comes out,
0: Skynet's <laughs> not live. <laughs> Total Anarchy right. has not just, you know, there hasn't been a military coup. <laughs> <That's>,
1: <laughs> well.
0: We're, we're out to a I rock and start it. six days in.
1: <laughs> if this is our last episode.
0: Mm-hmm. Then
1: we're ending on a bang. Hopefully not a literal one, but ending on a, yeah. a bang. Um Definitely. we have talked about having our guest today um probably since we've started the podcast. And so this is a big, you know, moment for us. Um Dane is beating himself up that he can't be here. Amber, as you know, we have nothing but illustrious guests. And nothing I'm not saying this is the most illustrious, but she she may be up there. Who do we have today?
0: Our guest today was born and raised in Lancaster County and graduated from Furman University in the University of South Carolina School of Law. She's been practicing law since 1997 in the fields of bankruptcy, serious injuries, and wrongful death at Norrell and Powers Norrell LLC while serving in the South Carolina. House of Representatives from 2012 to 2020 in House District 44. And she was also the Democratic candidate for South Carolina Lieutenant Governor in 2018. So welcome Mandy Powers Norrell, to the show.
2: Thank you, thank you, Amber and Joseph. It's an honor to be here.
1: It is our pleasure and we really appreciate you make some time for us. Um, we, we kind of have our questions that we wanna ask, but I think it'd be remiss if everything going on today, Uh, You chose a life of public service. You see kind of these attacks on public servants. And um, you mentioned before we started about, you know, trying to recruit people to public service. Can you talk a little bit about what brought you to want to be in public service and in politics? And I mean, seeing what you see today, if you have any regrets or what you would say to somebody who wants to get into it.
2: Yeah, so I just—it's funny. I just recorded a um, recruitment video for Greenwood Democrats before this Zoom meeting, and uh, and you know, it's it's hard to recruit people because people will say, well, "I don't want to get involved in something so dirty as politics," and and when you take that attitude, though, you leave it to the dirty people to to run things. And so, one thing that we really saw today is that there are people who really listen and take action when their leadership and people they believe in um, ask them mm-hmm. to do something or or suggest that that they do something. And we need good people to be in leadership who who make the right suggestions and make the right requests of, of the people of, of this nation and of this state. And so um, just Having good people in office means so much. If we didn't learn anything else from the um, insurrection of today, that is, uh, that's a huge lesson to learn.
1: So you were continuing working as a lawyer in Lancaster while you were serving in the house, you know, Again, we talked a little bit about the general, but why did you want to get involved in politics in Lancaster? And how was the balance between practicing in a smaller community and also serving that community in Columbia?
2: Well, there's so many things in there. So I got involved because I had um, Mick Mulvaney was running for state Senate, and I didn't want him to be my senator. And so I mean, that was the whole reason I got involved. And I could not find a single soul who would run against him. So I thought my role was, I'm going to find somebody to run against Mick Mulvaney. And and nobody would do it. And so then ultimately, I said, well, he's not going to have a coronation. You know, people would say, well, that's the Republican district. It was Jerry for a Republican. He's so mean. He's so Mm well-funded. I don't want to run against him and lose. And, you know, I said, he might beat me, but he's going to know he's been in a fight and he's not Mm going to have a coronation. And so I ran against him and, and I did really well and he still won, but I won Lancaster County and I won a lot of votes that people didn't think I would in a lot of precincts. And so then uh, four years later, the house seat was open and I had won every precinct that was overlapped between the Senate and the house and uh, uh, districts. And so it was just sort of a natural fit for me to run for the house. And uh, it was hard practicing law. And, uh, and serving in the House because Lancaster was over an hour away. Wow. And the people who live and work in Columbia have a much easier time if they're lawyer legislators because their offices are <clears throat> close by. And, um, and, and the people who stay in Columbia during the three days, I drove home every night. So I was on the road for you know, almost three hours a day every day. And so that was it made it harder to practice. But my husband practices with me so that um, that helped out a lot. He covered for me a lot. The biggest challenge, though, is when you're a lawyer legislator, constituents will call you with something that they say is a constituent issue. But it's really because they <laughs> mm-hmm. want you to be their free lawyer. Right.
0: Yeah. And I can right. say that now that I'm
2: yeah. not in office anymore, but it drove me nuts. And so my um, my between my law office and my legislative aid, they were having to, you know, kind of shuttle people back and forth. They would have to figure out is this a constituent issue or is this somebody you need a something you need a lawyer for? Right. And asking by, you to a law firm.
1: I'm asking my representative about my car accident case of right. divorce, right? <laughs>
2: My divorce. I need you to help me
0: with my custody issue. And I was like, oh, yeah. "Okay, you need. You've called the wrong
1: office." <laughs> yep. That's too funny. So in Lancaster, and you mentioned it um, about in Lancaster, which is a majority red uh, county you know I mean? and in
0: mm-hmm. a majority red state, and and you're not allowed to dance in the street, right? Joseph yeah, did. You yeah, that's that right.
1: We covered that. It's we like, covered that. Oh, yeah. Right. Are Were you aware of that law, like in Lancaster, you can't dance in the street? Really? That's apparently a law that's still on the books. Oh, yep. wow. Look, I, I, we're breaking the I'm going to
2: go do that, just <laughs> to be polite.
1: So, what's the key, and we try not to get too much, this is a lawyer poli- a podcast, not a politics podcast, but mm-hmm. you were able to be successful as a Democrat in these red areas, and, yes. you know south carolina being what it is that was obviously it was a shock to people. and then when you ran for lieutenant governor there was you guys did really well as there as well what's the key what's the secret to winning yeah. south carolina as a democrat because
0: being blue in a red state right yeah. well
1: Our I neighbors a lot of to, the, to the west you know just kind of did a lot of good things in that. i was wondering you know what's the key here
2: yeah so in my district i had a lot of cousins and that mm. helped a lot because my cousins were, you know, they, they fit the demographic of the district, but they, um, they would vote for me. They would split their tickets to vote for me. My, uh, my district four years ago was, um, went 23% for Trump and um, and this time I think it went even more and so, uh, but of course I lost in this past election because people were a lot <laughs> less likely and less inclined to split their tickets but it, it has always been a very, very red district and I had a lot of family there, I was born and raised there, I worked at the mill with a lot of people because we had the world's largest cotton mill so a lot of people um, worked there and so that always resonated and I was lucky that I didn't have, I didn't draw opponents who had the same um this sort of a story as me, so it was it was unique in that regard. But people would say, "I don't believe you're really a Democrat," and I was like, "Why not?" And because like, you drive a truck, because you work at the mill, because oh, you're goodness. you know because you're from a farming background, and I'm like, "What in the world is inconsistent yes. with being a Democrat about right. that?" But I would take it if they would say, "I'm gonna vote for you because I believe you're really more like me." I was like, "Okay,
0: yeah, going you you to get
2: you there," and exactly. so I take it, but um, but those were the, the things that just – but I've always felt like if they know you as a person mm-hmm. and, and they can relate to something in your story, then – they're a lot more likely to vote for you than they are somebody they don't know. You know, people will split their tickets for somebody they know. So I would share, you know, personal information and, and just my story and my background and everything. Just I would, some people say I overshare just to give people something that they can relate to, to say, okay, I, I re- I, 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 I share this, um, this similarity with Mandy, so therefore, I'm more inclined to trust her and, mm-hmm. uh, and trust her judgment, even if I disagree with her on, um, on policy. Do you foresee going back into politics anytime soon? I don't know. I might. It's um. You know, I've got all this time to think that I didn't. I didn't expect to have all this free time in 2021. So, and I. Uh, I told my husband the other day. I said I'm getting so much clarity that I didn't have when I was a lot busier. And so I'm just. Uh, I'm just open to that clarity. And I had felt sort of a nudge before this last election when I lost my seat. I felt a nudge to um, to do something different, to leave the house and, and do something different, but I have a low risk tolerance and I was just going to, you know, stay in that house seat for as long right. as they would have me because it was mm-hmm. comfortable. But I, there was something in the back of my head that said, you know, this just isn't where you need to be. And so I um, but I wasn't listening and then that nudge became a push. And so now here I am with uh, with free time uh, for the time being, so um, I'm I'm enjoying that, and I'm really just kind of open to whatever messages come. So, Governor,
0: just saying. <laughs> Thank
1: you, Judge. Um,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: So, uh, you know, we can joke about this, but I'm I'm actually serious about this question. You're kind of renowned in South Carolina, especially among the legislature for having just an amazing Twitter account. Oh, thank you.
2: (laughs) I was blowing it up today. People (laughs) might be blocking me after.
1: (laughs) I was wondering, do you think that matters as far as both being a lawyer and a politician? You know, because you you mentioned being open about stuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're tweeting out your thoughts. I mean, rightly or wrongly, people are going to know where you stand on things. I was wondering if you had a, uh, if you thought that may have played into any of this.
2: I think that I think it has become very important, you know, because it used to be that if you wanted to get a message out and when I first ran, you know, you had to convince the media to carry your message for you. And now if you have a good following, you can just get it out there and uh, and see how that message plays, to see who who latches on to it, and who um, and who really um, you know can identify with it, and and you can test a message, and uh, and test the wording of a message just directly and immediately, and that is that's practically awesome if you're running for office, but it also helps you just connect with people on on a very. Um, Real in real time kind of way, and I love it. You now some people hate it, and right. I've talked with uh, people running for office, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, this feels so invasive, and so I feel so naked out there, and all <laughs> this." But I love it because I just uh, I love connecting with uh with people so that's um that's just twitter to me and facebook and facebook maybe less so because i i really sort of have a different voice on facebook than i do on twitter because i'm talking to uh to different people right. but um i love i love them all and instagram is just sort of where i, I put pictures of non-political family things but i love them all and i just mm-hmm. because i love the connection and i think mm-hmm. that it it is the way of of modern politics. I think you need that in um, if you're running today because you need to be able to talk to people without that filter.
0: In the firm that I was with, I worked with um, Jane Downey. She's a bankruptcy. Attorney. Yes, yes, Jane and um, Kathleen Muthig that went to law school with me. She does bankruptcy. So uh-huh. I I could never get into bankruptcy. So explain to me. The appeal because it does some of my favorite people practice (laughs) bankruptcy. I'm just very good at it it so much. (laughs) The,
2: the thing that I love about bankruptcy is people come to me, unlike other areas of law that I practice in, where I can't tell people what the result's going to be. I can tell them, I will advocate for you and we'll see where it goes. Everybody wants to know, though. They want an answer. In bankruptcy, I can pretty much tell them what's going to happen. And I love that. But they come in and I swear, they, they look old they look worn out, they look just exhausted. And um, and between the time that I file their case, and we go to their meeting of creditors, which is like a month later, they look 10 years younger. And they look healthier and you can just when you get that stress of that creditor or all those creditors calling you and harassing you, when you get that stress off of you, it changes your whole life. And so that is something I swear if I won the lottery and never had to work another day in my life, I'd still come in and file bankruptcies for people because I I can't imagine another area of law that would be more fulfilling
0: than than that. That's wonderful. Are unfortunately, though, y'all seeing more of an uptick, you think, because of no, the, the COVID issues? Not yet. <laughs> the odd thing
2: about bankruptcy is when when you're descending, like when uh, when things are getting bad, people don't file because you don't file until you see a light at the end of the tunnel. You file when, um, when you've been through a valley and then you're starting to get things in order and you're not having to continue to rely on credit. So if you're having to continue to live on credit, you're not going to file and have your credit cards canceled. You're going to wait until you see a, you know, a, a way out and then you're going to file to deal with the, uh, the debts of the past and, and start your, um, your new future.
1: Gotcha. So, kind of going back to your time in the uh, house. Uh uh-huh. This has come up, and I saw you don't talk about it on Twitter and make some jokes about it. Why funny. don't we have a state flag? Oh, oh my gosh. gosh, the big so sca- the scandal before that. today. <laughs> they
2: proposed that crazy looking thing yes. with those prawns that look like skeleton hands. So we sad twig. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it was pitiful. Frizzy
0: twig, <laughs> was the most
1: embarrassing thing that came out of South Carolina yeah. in 2020. That,
0: <laughs> that little tree looked like it went down to Hilton Head and got caught in the humidity, and then just pss, yes, it was so beautiful.
1: it's funny, Amber. Right.
0: It looked like a Charlie Brown Palmetto.
2: <laughs> it was terrible. But it's, um, we've just never had an official design, which I think is so South Carolina. It's so (laughs) defiant and so like egalitarian and just, I mean, it's just, you know, and it's accessible, you know, anybody since if we don't have one, it's conceptual art. It's just a, mm-hmm. a tree and a crescent. And you know, and, and if you say that, you know, your flag is short is the South Carolina flag, then it's just as valid as the one flying over the Capitol. And I think that's <laughs> kind of cool. And so, you know, it's a if you got a tree and a crescent in a blue background, there's it's good you know, it is just <laughs> as valid. And so I, I, I kind of like that, but it's um, that this was brought to my attention like five, six years ago. And a, a member of the House came to me and he wanted me to sign on to his bill to standardize the, the state flag. And I don't know if I signed on to it or not, but um, but it's, um, you know, a, a historian, wanted to do it convince some some legislators to uh to introduce the bill and then they went and got historians and not um graphic designers yeah. <laughs> i just where <laughs> were the focus groups the crazy looking tree and and crescent to to call our flag mm-hmm. instead of one that's maybe been flying over the Capitol or been right. in Southland History books, one that some of us recognize. Yes. Yeah, this is right. completely new design.
1: I, I remember seeing that poor Charlie Brown Christmas tree of a flag and say, you know, it this was. is the way we're ending 2020. Like this yeah. is it's so appropriate. Like of course I
2: love those memes that were like Rizzy. how it started how it ended. Yes. <laughs> <it's Right>. <laughs>
0: Everyone's like, "Just we're gonna quite get quiet into 2021. Don't touch anything. Don't talk loud. No one say this is your year. We're just gonna keep our heads down and just." Shh. And six days in, we've got rioters to, 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 to the house.
2: But <laughs> that's <laughs> I think. It's like the power of the internet because now they're they went back and said, "Now we yeah. don't have that crazy looking tree," and it's all because of the
0: response mm-hmm. on Twitter. So it's a, it's a very powerful tool. Yeah. I hope they go to the journalism school and engage in some focus groups sure. <laughs> among the student body. Yes. That will be very helpful. And the graphic designers.
1: <laughs> yes. Mandy, as you look back on your time at the house, <coughs> what would be the one highlight or something that you say, you know what, I would love to be known for this, or this would be my legacy of my time in in, in working in public service.
2: So, My focus uh, in in my time in public service has been to um, to do the things that, you know, people who have a financial stake in um, in an outcome are able to hire lobbyists and those bills get fast-tracked the the bills that don't have anybody with a financial stake involved in them they they languish and so those are the ones that i always wanted to uh, to focus on and especially with regard to like sexual assault and children's issues and so in my very first year I introduced a bill called Aaron's Law, which required uh, child sexual abuse education at every single uh, grade level, starting from kindergarten all the way up through 12th grade. And it was, you know, it always be age appropriate uh, for what they could understand at the time. So it would encourage um, kids to uh, to tell a teacher or guidance counselor if they um, were uh, experiencing um, sexual assault at home, sexual abuse, uh, or if they knew of someone who was, because teachers and guidance counselors have always been mandated reporters but the gap was the kids didn't know that so Mm -hmm. i heard from so many adult survivors of sexual assault who said school was the only place i felt safe but i never knew i could tell my teacher what was happening to me at home and uh, and my teacher could help get it stopped and so we got that passed and uh and i even went to the um the state um, education uh, um, department of education and and walked through with them or they they kind of walked me through how it would be implemented and sure. then we have gotten just hundreds of predators out of children's lives with that law so that was phenomenal and that's that's probably you know no matter what that's that's going to be probably the best thing that I've ever done in government no matter you know what I may do in the future because that's uh, that's had the biggest impact, I think.
0: That would take the cake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no,
1: you read that. Uh-huh. Is there something if you were to get back into politics, let's hold out our crisp, crystal ball. Is there mm-hmm. some issue in South Carolina that you say, you know what, this would be the thing that would bring me back or this would be the thing that would make me interested in whatever position or or uh no let me it's,
2: read that so I don't... There's a lot. There is a lot left to be done in the uh, in the arena of of sexual assault and violence, and I think that it's it's something that until very recently, and even and even now, lawmakers have not wanted to tackle because it's just a um, it's it's a sticky subject that people don't want to think about or talk about, so they pretend it doesn't exist. Uh, we don't have a law defining consent in South Carolina, so everybody's walking around with their own definition of consent, and as lawyers we know the definitions are the most important parts of the law and we need a definition for consent in South Carolina and we don't need people interpreting it in their own ways Um, we don't have laws that require um, like colleges to you know colleges don't want to report sexual assault because if um, they're ranked based on the safety of their campuses so you know there is a real incentive for sexual assault to not be reported and private colleges are not subject to FOIA so if if a sexual assault occurs on a college campus, we may never even know about it because they don't have to report it for for FOIA purposes. And a lot of colleges, and we saw this with Bob Jones in the past year, um, will suspend students for honor code violations that are discovered in connection with an assault that's reported, like drinking or, uh, or drug use or something or in El or anything like that. So students are very reluctant to report those assaults. So I had an amnesty bill that would require them to give amnesty to anyone who reports as a victim or a witness uh, such assaults on campus. And, uh, and there's a lot, uh, I had probably a dozen bills uh, related to just major gaps in state law with regard to that. Marital rape, it has to be reported in 30 days and it has to have aggravating circumstances. Otherwise, it didn't happen and and so we have a lot of uh, a lot of gaps in our law regarding that and that's a um, it's something that I think that is a result of us not having a lot of women in uh, elected office because you know not because there's anything wrong with men but our brains work differently we think about different things we have to be aware of our surroundings more we know that we can be physically overpowered more easily and we know we can't leave our drinks unattended I mean it's just very we're constantly having to think about a lot of things that, um, that are, um, are not in the minds of the majority of lawmakers. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that we need that, we need more representation of people who do have to think about those things. And we would, um, we would have some better laws regarding uh, sexual assault, at least.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that transcends right into women, African American minorities, Mm -hmm. that's why you need diversity in your politics and you need exactly. to have different viewpoints on every single level exactly but Good getting back exactly. to your work yeah with sexual assault the movie the hunting ground did you ever watch that on Netflix? no i haven't oh my goodness and it might not be there but it was basically it followed the um the females that brought i believe it was the title IX action wasn't it joseph against all of these i think it was title IX. yeah no, the, um, it was girls that had been, it was stories of basically rape on college campuses. And it focused on, wow. they, you know, the pressure of not reporting. You know, they went to the police, but the kids got honor code violations. And at the very end, they interviewed the um, Jameis Winston victim that had never come forward. That was her first, you know, they never named her, everything like that. But um, basically, these girls, the, the people had honor code violations, but they still came back. They filed this, I think, again, the Title IX lawsuit basically saying, you're violating or might have been Article Two, I can't remember off the top of my head. Wow. I'll say an idiot. But they basically said, you're violating our rights by <laughs> making us go to school with our attackers <laughs> yes. and violating yes. our rights in those rooms. So it was very good. It was oh, scary, wow. though. I was like, now I get why my parents were terrified to send me to college. yeah. <laughs> I wow, can't. I'm gonna have to see mm-hmm. that because it's a hunting ground. Is very it's very good.
1: good. Well, on a total different note, um, we end all of our podcasts and we ask our guests for their best war story. Now, you kind of have uh, uh, you know not only your legal career but also your political career mm-hmm. to draw from. But we're not gonna let you off the hook. We ask everybody, so we ask you, Mandy Powers Norell. What's your best war story? Story you tell at a bar, or a story with oh, wow. friends over a couple glasses of wine?
2: I was going to tell one, and then when you you said that maybe I could tell one from politics, I you I've, can tell two. I'll we'll let you tell two. I got better you ones from politics. Now I just don't even have a good one for from legal. <laughs> but yeah, oh my gosh. So um, this is and and this is something that I I don't even think I've told this before, but um, not publicly. And so it's, um, and I'm not sure that I handled it the right way. So y'all can tell me what you think and, and because I think I handled it in the practical way, but I'm not sure it was the, you know, I'm not sure everybody would agree it was the right way. So, um, I had a colleague who was in a leadership role and they, so they would have these, um, these excursions uh for us to learn about uh bills that were before us and and i was on the um i was on a committee that was dealing with a uh, a fishing bill and so they took us out to this place to show us where people from out of state were coming in and doing like major um fishing operations and taking a lot of the fish out of the out of the lake and uh and depleting the populations well this colleague it was going to have to be an overnight thing and the colleague who was in leadership got very very drunk put his hands all over me and uh, I was a freshman I didn't know if is this normal because you hear all these war stories about and and I still don't know if it was normal at the time it's not normal now and um, and it was just it was so creepy and oh my god he smelled he had a very distinct smell that's like when you open a can of vienna sausages and it's just like that oh god it was disgusting and so um, I know. So finally, he, um, he, I hid out in the kitchen with a friend and then um, he thought I had gone. Oh, but he told me, he said, um, this is how he didn't harass me. He said, um, you know, if, if you want to come to my room tonight, I'm going to leave my door open. And, um, and so you can just climb on in the bed with me, but you don't have to, if you don't want to, like, I was going to be like, Oh, thank you. You're giving me this opportunity. Oh my God. I appreciate that so much. Thank Thank you. Thank (laughs) you. So then, um, so he disappeared, he went to his room, and <laughs> I came out of the kitchen, and um, and some friends said, yeah, I think he thinks that you were gone, and maybe gone to his room or something, so then, um, and so one went to check on him, because he was so drunk, said he was laying there butt naked, with the door open, and <laughs> I know, and so after that, I thought, you know to be fear, this is
1: a legislator that is doing
2: yeah yeah oh. do, I, do i turn him in do i report <laughs> him and and so but i didn't know you know i was like no yeah. because i don't want that to be you know who i i don't want people to be scared to talk to me right and because that, they would twist it that way to be like oh she'll turn yeah. you in i'm like no not really not unless you do that but so I talked to some older, like, women who, you know, had experienced probably worse. And they were like, no, don't turn him in. Just know that he can't defy you now. Like, he can't kill your bills. He can't, you know, go in and and yeah. torpedo your work.
1: Yeah.
2: And just yeah. know that because he, if you don't turn him in, he'll always have in the back of his mind that, one day this woman might turn me in. Exactly. Yeah, so I would fight him on legis- on, um, on environmental legislation. And I would, you know, I would, you know, score some points for, for the side of right and for the things that I really believed in because he always knew in the back of my mind, I might say something yeah. and, or in the back of his mind that I might say something. So I just kind of let him always wonder.
1: Ever, that may be the best war story that we've had. Like,
0: I think it is. Hands down. Going to go ahead and call it.
1: Goodness. And by the <laughs> way, now there's going to be people who listen to this and then try to figure out who it is. They'll um, know, know. They'll know. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they will know.
1: <laughs> Mandy, thank you so much for joining us. This thank was you. A, a pleasure. Uh, we we appreciate the time uh, that you've taken for us and Yeah, we'll have to have you back on when you have some more free time uh, to give us an update when you're running for president or uh, (laughs) uh, whatever you you decide to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can follow uh, Mandy in her amazing Twitter account at mpowersnorell, (laughs) N-O-R-R-E-L-L. And, uh, find out more about what she's doing and when she announces uh, that she's going to uh you know be our un ambassador yeah mandy um, thank you so thank you so much for uh, joining us you know you can always follow us at SC Lawpod on twitter and facebook you can follow me at Joseph josephpbios you can follow Dane at SC Crim Lawyer, but Mandy Amber has the best one. <laughs> follow her at Red Judicata on Twitter. <laughs> I love it <laughs> for, for our, our ginger haired friend. Um, Amber, yep. great to see Thanks. you in twenty twenty one. Yep. And uh, we <laughs> uh, we thank you all for listening, and we will see you again next week on the Direct Examination Podcast. <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed.